0: And so, Father, as we pause in our time to speak to you, we humble ourselves, confessing to you that we don't know. And so, therefore, we need you to speak truth into our lives. We need to understand your perspective on things. God, I never want my agenda or my opinion to be um, taken all that seriously. I want, your truth to be ex- I want your truth to be explained and for us to be excited to learn it and then to live it. And so, God, we humble ourselves and ask that you would do a great work this morning and all of us, would you transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus? God, help us, because we can't do this on our own. I'm convinced. Help us to not read this, uh, the words of this passage or the words of this book, through the lenses of our own, of our own upbringings, of our own uh, norms. God, may you humble us so that we're teachable to receive truth that's based upon what you say that it is. And so we commit this time to you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says amen. Before jumping jump into Matthew 5, Paul writes these words. It's the last letter that we have recorded in the New Testament that's from him. I think it's fitting that he's writing to a young pastor. This is the last thing he's writing before he's to be executed. Paul speaks these words and says, "'Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life "'in Christ Jesus will be persecuted.'" And remember where it is that he's writing this. He's under arrest. He's in prison because, simply because he loves Jesus. That was a whole reason, just simply because he loved Christ. And then we know that later on, it wouldn't be too long after this, that Paul would be beheaded because of his faith in Christ. And this same man who wrote these words reminding all followers of Jesus, and we've all been reminded the last couple thousand years, anyone who's called themselves followers of Jesus and been involved and in, into the scriptures, he's reminded every single of us, you will be persecuted. It will happen. If you want to live a godly life, expect it. And I wonder how often we actually are surprised by it because I, I think we're so used to, well, persecution's happening out there then maybe it's going to start happening more around here. And if it does, do we then decide whether or not God is worth it in the moment? Because have we based our lives or our following of Jesus on whether or not we are blessed if we do? Or are we following Jesus simply because he's worth it? If he never gives us any other blessing outside of salvation in relationship with God, is he worth it? Or is Jesus only worth it when we get more of his stuff like a lot of times messages and messages and sermons can be preached from a culture of when god will take care of everything when everything's comfortable in the society in which you live but when you think of followers of jesus who are behind bars simply because they follow jesus can i still preach the same truth to them as i would to people who are here because if i'm preaching a different truth here that i would preach to them then i'm not preaching the truth of god It always has to come back to this is a universal truth for all of us and not just dependent upon the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So do we actually believe that persecution is part of what it is that followers of Jesus are expected to go through? The fact that Jesus tells us as we get to Matthew chapter five, verse 10, he says this blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Guys, that's one thing to be persecuted if you're a jerk. But for righteousness sake, simply because you want to live rightly. You want to live before God in a way that's honoring to him. He says, when you are persecuted, then you're blessed. And so that word blessed, as we've looked at, is the word happy. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when he uses that word those, and he's kind of been doing that throughout the Sermon on the Mount so far. It's like, blessed are the meek. And you're thinking of the people that are out there. Blessed are the peacemakers, the people that are out there. Blessed are those who are persecuted, the people out there. And I think it's, a lot, it's really hard for us to stop and go, but what about the people that I've never met around the world who are truly persecuted for Jesus? Does my heart ache and break for them? Do I actually believe that they're brothers and sisters, or are they just people of faith going through a tough time because they love Jesus? Friends, I'm supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice according to the scriptures. I'm supposed to mourn with those who mourn. When those who are persecuted, my heart should break and ache when I hear of what's going on. And then I should pray on their behalf and believe and know with all hope that God not is just going to come through, but is present with them." Guys, I've heard accounts of people who have suffered because they love Jesus. Because they've been persecuted, put in prison, and they're beaten, and man, they went deep with Jesus. And then when they got out and they got to get out of that situation, they find themselves in another country where they're not experiencing the persecution. And what they found was that their faith was not as solid as it was when they were persecuted. They found Becoming more complacent. And I remember hearing this pastor explaining the story where he said, They actually looked at each other and said, Don't you miss it? Don't you miss it? Don't you miss the persecution? Don't you miss it? Because then we actually were reliant upon God. And there was a depth. And guys, I'm convinced that when people who experience it, God himself, the Holy Spirit, will invade them in a way that leaves them knowing that they are being taken care of by God. But oh, it is still difficult. So as Jesus holding up to the truth that he's explained, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we actually believe, do we actually have an understanding of what Christians have gone through. When we look at the early church, here are some of the things that Christians suffered. They were flung to the lions and burned at the stake. Emperor Nero wrapped Christians in pitch and set them alight, using them as living torches for his gardens. Nero sewed them in skins of animal, of wild animals and sent his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to pieces. They were tortured on the rack. Red hot brass plates were affixed to their tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out, parts of their bodies were cut off and Roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony." This is what the early church experienced. Guys, you would think if the beginning started out like this, people would begin to sit there and go, it's not worth it. It's us end it. Let's end the lie if it was a lie. Guys, do you realize that the church exploded? Historians will still look at the early church and think, there is no way that the early church should have survived. With everything that the early church experienced, it should have died at its conception. It should have died when it started. But the church has continued for the last 2,000 years, and not barely, but exploding all over the world. And I know that we hear people say, well, in the States, it's declining. Church attendance, absolutely. But friends, followers of Jesus, I believe, I believe with all my heart, the church will not die. The church will not stop until the coming of Christ. Friends, this is our time. This is our moment. When things get darkest, we shine the brightest. We're supposed to be different, and we're supposed to live differently according to what the Beatitudes teach us and what Jesus teaches in this sermon on that mountain one day. Guys, we have an incredible legacy of followers of Jesus who have endured. Why? Because if they did, their life turned out a little bit more comfortable? No because Jesus is worth it. The gospel is true and transforms people. We are left speechless when we grasp what it is that God has done and what he's called us to do and the mission that he's given us and then life and purpose and how society flourishes when the teachings of scripture are actually applied. And this broken world so desperately needs jesus and followers of jesus jesus has to be worth it and those whom we go to with the gospel we need to see them as worth it even if they attack us in return we do not ever have the justifiable right to go against what the scriptures teach well brian you know what they're doing here If they do this, then I get to do this back. And then scripture says, Hey, I don't want you to repay. I don't want you to repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Vengeance is mine. Says the Lord, I want you to extend grace and love. He said, I don't like that part. Then you need to submit yourself to the authority of scripture and repent from the fact that you actually think that you are more reliable and more right than God who put the whole thing together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But does that do anything for us? Like if I sit there, if you're going through a difficult time and I say, Jesus is coming back one day, you're like, great. Today, I don't know, but wouldn't it be sick? Like, couldn't it just be rad if he came back right now? And some of you, maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, the message would be over, we'd be out of here. We don't have to figure out we're going to lunch, like we get to fly to meet the Lord. It's like, I don't know. Like any reason he's sitting there going, let it be over. The chairs are more comfortable in heaven. Like whatever it is, we're ready to go. Guys, I'll be honest. I want to be in heaven. Why? Just to get away from the pain? No, I want to be in heaven to see Jesus. Like I cannot wait to see him. But do we actually believe that it's better? Like the kingdom of heaven is yours. Are you kidding me? Like, the whole kingdom? is ours do we see it as better or the leftover it's where we go when we've actually lived out the life we were supposed to live and then we get the leftover guys that's the primary part us being with him that's it that's what it's all about the kingdom of heaven is a now and not yet concept that right now we are in the kingdom of heaven because we have a relationship with christ if you've surrendered to him Right now, we live according to the principles and the standards and the commandments and the viewpoints of God. And we try to live those out. We fight against our our desire, the fleshly desires for sin. We push against those. We repent from those. We continue to go to Jesus. We experience his blessing as he desires for us to experience it. That's a now concept, but it is a first fruit. It's a taste of what is to come. And that what's coming is going to blow our minds. Guys, it's coming and it's ours. And it's here and now and not yet. But are you willing to stake everything on it? Or is it so long as it works out for you? As he goes on to verse 11, and this is where he changes his tone. First time in the whole Beatitudes. Blessed are the beak, blessed blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are you. And then he speaks directly to those that he, was, that he was speaking to, those who were listening, blessed are you. Now watch, happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. For those of you who are, this is your first Sunday, welcome. Isn't this a great Sunday to be here? Oh man, you should be so happy when people hate you. You should be so happy when they say all this junk about you. Guys, does that really compute? Does that make sense to any of us? It's like, I love when people hate me. Like I hope today someone just says, I hate your face. Guys, this isn't natural. And I think that's why Jesus had to remind everyone there. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Notice that's the key part, they do it falsely. Friends, we don't give them reason to accuse us rightly. We live, in a manner, we live in a manner worthy to Jesus, so the only thing that people can do is to accuse us falsely. The early church experienced this. Here's a few of the ways that they were accused falsely. The first is they were accused of being cannibals. Like they actually engaged in cannibalism, that they were eating humans. Never had that happen. But why would they do that because they had this gross and deliberate misrepresentation of the practice of the lord's supper when they took communion when jesus says this is my body broken for you this is my blood poured out for you take this in remembrance of me and some person goes oh my gosh they're eating people i don't have i don't know how you jump to that conclusion so cannibalism is one immorality They say this is an immoral group. The way that they live together is immoral because of the gross and deliberate misrepresentations of the weekly love feast and their private meetings. So they're sitting there going, oh, everyone's getting together. They call it the love feast. You know what happens at the love feast? They're all together doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing. And all they were doing together, you go to Acts chapter two, what were they doing? They were listening to the scripture teachings. They were praying together. They're hanging out together. They're worshiping together. They're praying. They're eating meals together. They took care of each other. There's nothing immoral about that. Guys, that's actually the thing that I think our society lacks the most and desires the most. They're accused of revolutionary fanaticism because the the early church believed that Jesus would return and bring an apocalyptic end to history. In other words, Jesus is gonna come back, he's gonna kick some tail. People are like, "Mm," you see what they're trying to do? That's, they're fanatics. They think Jesus is coming back one day. So many people didn't even believe that Jesus came back from the dead the first time, but to come back, you say they came back from the dead, fine, but he's gonna come back and judge the world. And we go back to the pages of Scripture, and that's exactly what happens. You look in the book of Revelation, it is Jesus who comes and judges the nations. They are accused of splitting up families. Why? Because at some point, you might have one spouse come to Christ when the other doesn't. That then breaks up marriages. You might have children who are older, or even maybe even they're younger, they come to Christ, and then all of a sudden, there's division within the family. So it's like, hey, they're just trying to split up families. And here's one of the other things. They were charged or accused of treason because the early Christians would not honor the Roman gods and participate in emperor worship. See, the Roman Empire had pretty much taken over the whole world by this time, at least the whole known world. And so they needed a way to unify the people. And so they, they, they first found the worship of the goddess Roma, which is the spirit of Rome. So everyone needs to worship Roma. And all of a sudden it changed from Roma, and the emperor is the personification of Rome, so it turned into emperor worship. And so here's what you have to do once a year. You'd have to, you have to go before uh, wherever it was that they had, They could take a pitch of incense and then you throw it in the fire and you say, Caesar is Lord. It's like this is an act of worship. Guess who did not do it? Followers of Jesus did not do it. Guys, one of the earliest hymns ever written is found in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And at the end of that hymn in chapter 2, Paul makes this statement that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So every follower of Jesus is sitting there going, I cannot declare allegiance to Caesar. I cannot declare him to be Lord because there is only one Lord, and that's Jesus. And they would not do it no matter what it costs them, they would not bow the knee. Even if someone came and said, it doesn't matter, it's just your heart, just throw it in there, you're fine. It's like, we won't declare he's Lord because only Jesus is. Friends, you cannot have dual allegiance. It starts with the king, Jesus. Allegiance only first and foremost to him. When it is split, you are then taking that which you pledge allegiance to, making it equal to Jesus. He's to be preeminent, not in comparison to anyone or anything, any person or ideology, any place. It is Jesus' king, period. William Barclay tells this story of the early church father, he's the Bishop of Smyrna, his name is Polycarp. And he would not, he would not take a pinch of incense and throw it in the fire and declare that Jesus is Lord and so they declared that he needed to die. Here's how William Barclay words it, he says, the mob dragged him to the tribunal of the Roman magistrate. He was given the, the inevitable choice, sacrifice to the Godhead of Caesar or die. This was his response, Polycarp's response was this, Eighty and six years. I'm gonna start, start saying that's how old I am. Brad, how old are you? Forty and nine. Doesn't that just sound fancy? Come on. Okay, so 80 and six years came the immortal reply. Have I served Christ and he has done me no wrong? How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So they brought him to the stake and he prayed his last prayer. O Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy well-beloved and ever-blessed Son, by whom we have received the knowledge of thee, I thank thee that thou hast graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour. I thank you, God, that you are letting me die for you. Wow. And why? Was he gonna get something out of it? On earth? no." But heaven's greater. The kingdom of heaven is greater. Getting to see Jesus is greater than anything here on the planet. That's so much better. So doesn't mean we just become monks, keep ourselves away from everyone. I just hate it here, don't like it here. Nah, no, I think it's in First Timothy chapter six, where God is the one who created everything for our enjoyment and for our good. That on this planet we can enjoy his creation, but we do not buy into the ways and the principles and the ideas and the philosophies of the world especially when we live in a world that doesn't believe that there's truth anyways. And as we watch society unravel, we stand for truth, not because we're judgmental jerks, but because we actually believe that the boundaries of truth is what helps society and people flourish. As I said before, those were some of the things they were accused of, but aren't we accused of things as well, wrongfully? And I get that maybe some of you're back from, the, you have been part of a church community for a while, and maybe you've experienced kind of some nasty stuff in the past, and for that, I'm so sorry. You say, well, I met a person calling themselves Christians, and they were so mean. I know, but if you only met them once, and maybe they weren't, maybe they didn't really know Jesus, but what if they were just having one of those days? Or what if they just found out that somebody that they love passed away? and you were the first one that they saw and everything just came out. So before we jump to conclusions and holding people to standards that we ourselves don't live according to, you also need to extend grace to everyone else as well. But friends, we're accused of being homophobic because we hold to a standard of what the scriptures teach. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And we have a society that has bought into the idea that the only way to experience true and everlasting love is to be in a romantic relationship with someone. Friends, love is not dependent upon whether or not I'm in a romantic relationship or marriage. Love is given to all of us to experience. Agape has nothing to do with romance. Have we bought into the lie of the world that says the only way to find fulfillment is that you are what? Married, no, we don't buy into that. Scripture actually says it's easier not to be. But then our marriages are supposed to be this example of a relationship between us and Jesus. But you buy into it, it's like everyone's, you, can't, you say people can't love? Guys, we can love every single person on the planet. And maybe we just leave the romantic and the sexual intimacy and that type of covenant relationship between a man and a woman because that's what scripture teaches and that's how God designed it. We're accused of being xenophobic, or we have hatred toward foreigners, or that we're racist. I don't even know where that comes from. I mean, I read the scriptures that one day in heaven there's gonna be a throne, and Jesus is sitting on it, and people groups from all the world, different nationalities and people groups are surrounding the throne, and here us followers of Jesus are going, that's how it's supposed to be. I love the fact that heaven's not all white people. I love that it's all people groups and tongues speaking and worshiping Jesus. And so when I hear that, I'm like, where do you get that? Just because some people might say, I follow Jesus, and then are bigots and racists does not mean that they know Jesus. Making the declaration of knowing Jesus without life following, life choices, the way that we live, following our declaration is proof that you don't know Christ because the Holy Spirit will not leave us unchanged. We're told told that we're transphobic. Why, because I have a belief that God set up boundaries and he set up this thing in design, men and women two genders for a specific purpose, and we learn to live with each other and find out how we complement one another, not trying to elevate one over the other, but living together in unity and moving forward, but believing that God is the one who sets that up. He has a plan, and that I don't believe that every thought or feeling that I have is reliable or trustworthy because it's been tainted by my own depravity and sin. Therefore, God sets up, here's truth. I've said, I've told you how to live. I've told you what's true and right. It does not mean that it's easy, but he has set it up for our good and we decide, Jesus, if you're worth it, I wanna live the way that you tell me to live. And do you realize that our obedience, guys, obedience to God brings about blessings from God, brings about about rewards, and we're gonna look at that in a minute. So my heart goes out to those who struggle with those thoughts or feelings inside. They don't what to do with them, but I will not bow down and let confusion become the norm, that I will stand for truth and be filled and lavished with grace, that I could just spoil people with grace as I point them to the truth that's found in Jesus so that they could be free instead of condoning in the name of love Because love does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Because I actually believe that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life. And when we try to change those or add to those things, guys, that's when we mess everything up. Why do I have these thoughts or feelings? Friends, we're all depraved. We're all sinful to the core. And the only reason we are not destroyed by our own sin is by the grace of God. We're we're being accused of being divisive. Or that we have archaic and superstitious ideas and beliefs because you actually believe in this. You actually believe in this book that's a couple thousand years old. You realize how much society and culture has changed since then and I go, okay, then let's play uh, play that out. Has it gotten better? I mean take the book out. And you sit there and go, Well see, people can still be nice, but where'd you get up that where'd you come up with that concept that everyone should be nice or everyone should be kind or we should help those who are less fortunate than us? Guys, do you realize that not every culture believes that? And it didn't start out that way. Rome did not start out that way. The reason Rome declined and pretty much died out, and the church continued to explode, and the church has had an impact around the world on nations. The reason we say we should help those who are less fortunate is because it's a Christian concept has infiltrated the world because without it survival of the fittest hopefully you make it get yours we're being told that we're hateful and judgmental the sad thing is that many people who call themselves followers of Jesus portray that I'm going to pick it You all, you know those people? Yeah, the ones that Christ died for? Yes, I know those people. For those of you that don't follow Christ, please understand, there's always going to feel like you've been slighted in some way when somebody stands for truth that we believe is for the betterment of other people and we hold to those convictions, you will automatically, automatically jump to a sense of judgment, it's just natural. The followers of Jesus, we should never give them extra reason to believe that we're judgmental because we're jerks about the convictions that we hold to. We're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect, gentleness and respect, not one-minute memes or short videos on YouTube that leave people feeling like they just had a drive-by spiritual blasting because we're too afraid to engage people face-to-face. followers of Jesus the Bible does not teach us that when we share the things of Jesus that people will thank us some will those who come to Christ they will and they'll be, and they'll be so thankful that we did they will be so thankful when they come and surrender to Jesus and enter that relationship but not everyone else will and not everyone's going to just blast you because you love Jesus and say something about him not everyone's going to blast you for it I think it's interesting though, that as we're looking at this topic in our Bible reading plan in Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 11, I can't think of a more faithful guy than Jeremiah. Because for 50 years, he proclaimed the truths of God and everyone hated him. Everyone, no one repented. In Jeremiah 26, 11, it says, then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people. And when it says the priests and the prophets, these were not godly men. They were completely even living in sin. They were, they were leading Israel astray from the truths of God. They were doing the sacrificial system for God. And then over here, they're making sure that Moloch is being worshiped by, by burning a baby. And then they're over here doing the sacrifices, and then they're over here worshiping Baal. Some would even bring altars into the temple of God, which was his, where his name was to be known. And they turned it into kind of like a smorgasbord of worship, of whatever it is that you want to worship. So that's what the priests and prophets were doing. They said to the officials and to all the people, this man, Jeremiah, deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Friends, he told them the things of God and he was right. Babylon is coming. Nebuchadnezzar's going to destroy Jerusalem. So many of you are gonna die. Those who come out and go with him back into captivity, you're gonna live. And then it's gonna be 70 years. Here comes the prophets going, if it happens, it's only gonna be two. God told me. Do you realize the prophet that spoke that died within the year just as Jeremiah told him? Hey, this year you're gonna die. That's a weird message. I've never had to give someone that message. And it came true. But later on in chapter 38, verse four, thus, said, thus says the Lord, This is what he's saying through Jeremiah, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the official said to the king, let this man be put to death for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. Now listen, for this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. The only thing was this, Jeremiah was the only one speaking for the welfare of the people. He was the only one calling them into repentance to come back to God. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, the man, God has some things to say to the people of Israel. And then he has these other words where he's saying, return, I can't give you up, you're my heart, I want you back, you see his heart. He said, if you would repent, then I'll relent from all these things that I have planned, but they wouldn't do it. And the only person that was speaking those words was Jeremiah. Who was speaking for the welfare of the people? The prophets and the priests who were tickling ears? Or Jeremiah, who said the things that were hard for the betterment of the whole people of Israel, that they would repent and come back. Friends, there should be times when you walk out of this worship service going, whew, that was a heavy one. Because I've made a commitment, I I don't want to, I won't tickle ears, I will teach the scriptures. We will hold to truth, but we will do it graciously when we walk it out with people. As you get to verse 12, rejoice and be glad. This is my response to persecution. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. Rejoice and be glad. Smile and laugh it off. Celebrate this for, here's your your reason, for your reward is great in heaven. It's coming. Oh, it's coming. If all that you can do is hold on to what is coming, it's called hope. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're in great company. So when you are are persecuted, be blessed, but also your response, rejoice and be glad. And I got to be honest, I sit there and go, Who does this? As the persecutor, like, Yes, this is awesome. Like, nobody does it unless you're faking it. In 1555, a follower of Jesus named George Roper, before he's burned at the stake because he loved Jesus, he came to the stake leaping for joy and hugging the stake he was to be burned on as if it was a friend. Are you kidding me? Sitting there going, you're gonna die today. Yeah? We're gonna burn you alive. Where? Right there, and he goes running to him. He's like, this is it, I'm gonna die. And he runs up and he's like, I can't wait for you to kill me. What is that? What psychopaths are we following? Lawrence Sanders in 1555 also, while smiling, he embraced the stake of his execution. And this one blew me away. Dr. Roland Taylor, 1536, leaped and danced a little as he came to his execution saying when he asked, I'm sorry, when asked how he was, this was his response. Well, God be praised, good master sheriff, never better. For now I am almost home, I am even at my father's house. They're getting ready to die, and they're like, this is awesome. Why? Because that verse, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, was a reality. Oh, one day I get to see him. Like it's today. Today I get to stand in the presence of Jesus and see him in his glory? Are you kidding me? Can we go faster? As they start the fire, it's like Come on, come on, get it going. We're ready to go. Why? Because we just want to see him. We want to be with him. Because it's not, what do I get out of this walk with Jesus? It's, I get Jesus. I get him. Guys, it should be our heart about him. The writer of Hebrews, as he wrote to a bunch of Christians in chapter 10, starting in verse 32, 32 said this. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened or after you came to Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partner with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This isn't just a few people here, the, the guys on the fringes that are a little extreme. Paul's writing a bunch of Christians. He's coming, you guys joyfully celebrated when they plundered your property. Why? Because you believed that what was coming next was so much better. I guess the question came to my mind so why should we why should we expect to be persecuted? Like, why does that have to happen? David Guzik said this, yet the world persecutes these good people because the values and character expressed in these beatitudes are so opposite to the world's manner of thinking. Our persecution may not be much compared to others, but if no one speaks evil of you, now this is a hard question, are these beatitudes traits of your life? Wow. Guys, if everyone everyone just thinks, ah, Brian, he's just so nice. I love when he talks, I just feel like a koala bear, massaged my soul, I feel fantastic every time. Guys, it shouldn't be like that, but again, it doesn't give me, the, it doesn't give me freedom to be a jerk in the name of Jesus without, without taking into account the feelings of people that we're called to go after. Those drive-by shootings that we call, when it's like these spiritual drive-by shootings, just throughout the memes, throughout this idea, throw out this little quick thought, make people feel bad about themselves. We don't like those people, friends. That is never according to the heart of God. And so what should we do when persecuted while we wait for Jesus? What do we do? Somebody say, I don't have, a, I don't have persecution right now. I know, we live in a completely different country right now. But aren't there some that are experiencing it? Brian, what if it gets worse? Jesus is good, and he's worth it, and he's faithful. And we'll still live according to the commandments because we're citizens of heaven where our allegiance belongs to the king only. Guys, whatever happens, happens. And we continue to pray and trust him, but it doesn't mean that all is lost. Isn't it, and maybe you don't, maybe, I don't know. I'll just ask a question. Is anybody ready to see revival, like happen in our nation? It's just this sort of movement of the, the spirit of God, right? And don't you wanna see it in the world? But like, even if just, if just when you say your neighborhood, great. God, would you revive us, revive us, bring revival. But how does he do it? Well, first he needs to revive up the church. Revive the church, back to the mission. But how else does he do it? When you look at history, revival comes by what? Persecution. When the church is persecuted, revival breaks out. Now do you pull back and go, okay, maybe, maybe not that much revival. Maybe not too much revival. And I get it, I'm with you on some points. But if I actually believe that there's a greater reward in heaven, there's greater things in heaven, God, whatever you want, whatever you need, quote unquote, need to do for revival, start with me. Start with me that I could be the agent of change so that we could see our society and culture redeemed to the gospel. What do we do? Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have, no, for you have need of endurance, so that when you, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for, quote, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And when you read that part of the verse, you're like, what if I shrink back? Oh, man, I love the fact that the Bible answers the Bible. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." In other words, you just keep going. It's that phrase that maybe some of you guys are getting really tired of hearing me say, but I don't know what to say often. I'm like, hang in there. Hang in there. Let's pray and hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Like, I need something deeper. I don't have anything deeper. I have hope in a God who does what he wants when he wants to do it and will fulfill his promises when he wants to, so until he does, hang in there. He will come through, I promise. Why do I think he ends with persecution? Because if we're gonna live out the Beatitudes, expect it. we're gonna live it out, expect it. And when it happens, our response Grace, love, care, speak truth, a desire for people to come to know Jesus, never retaliation, ever. We leave all of that to God, our job, our role, our responsibility, our call, make disciples. As the worship team comes back up, let's watch this video as it just kind of summarizes and puts in play the Beatitudes for us.
1: Moment. for they shall be satisfied blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Someone wants to find me. Those are the groups they should look for. And then? You are the salt of the earth.
0: Dietrich Ponofer said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The followers of Jesus, that's what we come to. Not come and live, it's weird. Come and die. For what purpose? Die to myself, yes. But if necessary, die for the cause of the gospel. Come and die. And when I come and die, then I will truly live. Friends, at this moment we remember Christ's sacrifice, the one who is ultimately per- persecuted. We follow his example, we follow him, and we remember. And for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, this is a time, we just say, it's not a time for you to take communion, this is set aside for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. If you didn't get the elements, you can get them in the back, Brenda's in the back, and you can grab some from her if you'd like. If this week you say, this time is, I don't know that I wanna take communion this time, it's okay. But we confess before God, we sit before God quietly and confess, God, this is sin, as the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. We just confess, I'm so sorry, that's sin. And I've held, I've held it back, I wanna confess it. And then when you do, you take with grateful hearts, no guilt, gratefulness. He said, this is my, when he picked up the, the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin is the ushering in of a new covenant and to both of those he said do this in remembrance of me friends every time we do this we remember his death his sacrifice that's all we think of and so when you are ready you've gone before God and you've thought through it as we go into this last song and after that I'll come back up and close us. when you are ready you remember and you take these things in honor of Jesus Jesus, we give you thanks, you give us strength to live for you no matter what, help our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted, God, give them strength, would you bring them freedom, physically out from the bondage they find themselves because of the world and, their, and the perspective of the world, but Jesus, I thank you that in you they are truly free, but God, we want to see them taken care of, we want to see them out, God, please. Jesus, now as we take Holy Spirit, would you remind us, show us things that we need to confess and to repent from. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. love you more than you know.